All right, church, are you ready to praise the name of the Lord, the great name? Let's stand together and sing it. Lost or saved, I'm their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your great name. Every
all God's people said. Let's, let's give the Lord a praise and let's go to Him in prayer. Lord God, we just come before You now. We want to proclaim and praise and give glory and honor to Your great name. There is no other name by which we uh, must give You praise and give You honor and glory. We thank You, Lord, that we are in Your presence now and that, that uh, You are in our midst. Uh, Lord, You want us so desperately to, to know You better. And Lord, we can do that through your word. And we pray that as, as Brother Philip opens your word and explains um, the truths of, of that word to us today, Lord, that our, our lives would truly be transformed. We wouldn't just learn more. We don't need to learn more. We need to be transformed. And so, Lord, we pray for that to take place in every believer's life today. And Lord, if there's somebody within the sound of my voice that doesn't yet know you, today we pray would be their day of salvation and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And um, so if you would take out one of these connection cards and fill that out, that would be wonderful. We would know who's worshiping with us today. Maybe it's the first or second time you've been with us. We'd certainly love to know who you are and how to connect with you. And if you have any uh, questions about the church on the back there, there's boxes to check. Uh, for the rest of us, if you have a prayer request, we will take those, and pastor and staff will pray for those. So please, uh, please uh, do that, and then put that in the offering plate uh, on your way on your way out at the end of the service. All right. So you notice the church building's a little different today. So here's here's the information that we know so far. Okay. Um, Wednesday morning, we came to work and found busted water pipes, uh, substantial water damage. Uh, and, and so basically, let's put it this way. We were walking in water from the time we walked in the west door to almost to the worship center door of east and west. And north and south from the, from the north staff wall and library wall was, was in water. All the way across the hallway to all the offices and... and um, uh, Sunday school classes, kitchen, both fellowship halls uh, was in water, okay? So all that's going to have to be, that, that's all off limits uh, now. Everything's been moved. So if your Sunday school classes have been moved, you'll, you'll adjust. We've got all that figured out. I think James has that all figured out. Uh, office staff has moved to the old preschool wing. So we'll be uh, operating over there. Um, the uh, I just got off my notes. I'm sorry. Um, the... The new uh, uh, reception area will be the Family Life Center desk, gym desk entrance right there. So if you're coming into the office during the week, come into that Family Life Center entrance, and that's where you'll come in, okay? Um, and uh, otherwise, just plan on everything going forward, like, unless, in, if, we're, we're assuming everything's going forward unless you get notification that a class or whatever has been canceled due to... Uh, space problems. But but as of right now, we, we plan on everything moving forward. Praise the Lord. He is really taking care of us this week, and we just give him all glory and honor, and we thank you for your prayers uh, as we move forward through this. By the way, um, that's the part of the notes I missed. So uh, as, as we continue to find out where the damage took place, uh, that's going to take another week or two to sort all out. And then once we have all those answers, I think we'll, we'll try to get together on a Sunday night and give everybody information on where we are and, and you know, what the, what the time uh, frame is moving forward, okay? So be patient with us as we find all that information out, and we'll go on from there. 
All right. Hey, as we study God's word today, um, we're going to be talking about asking the, the Holy Spirit to open the eyes and enlighten us with his truth, with his word. And so let's let's start with this old uh, chorus that reminds us that, to ask the Lord to do this. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. remind us of that. Let's sing it together. Treasure thou art. Let's stand and sing, High King. 
continue in prayer to the Lord with these words. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see scripture together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. 
psalmist said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now some of you need to say to your soul, bless his holy name, right? Should we not do this as we corporately come together as a body? In other words, some of you need to remind yourselves that you belong to the king, right? And what an awesome time for us to come together to exalt the name of the Lord. And sometimes we need to preach a sermon to ourselves. Bless the Lord. That's what David's saying. God help me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is... If you can't get excited about the fact that there was a chasm that separated you from God. But God Almighty came after you. You might just be dead. Just a dead old Baptist, right? If you can't get excited about the Lord God of eternity rescuing sinners like us. That's good stuff, isn't it? All right, here's the prayer. Uh, I believe that if we can grasp this particular prayer and we can implement it into our lives, we will not be able to help being changed. We will be changed if we can incorporate this particular prayer into our lives. Listen to the word, verse 15 of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. By the way, Check out those two principles, faith and love toward all the saints. We saw last week that, that those are healthy signs of, of life, that our church has a pulse. Remember, we used to do this when we were kids. What's this? Here's a church. Here's a steeple. And open the door. Here's people. bad theology. <laughs> Stinking theology. As a matter of fact, we had buildings, physical buildings that got wet. And even if this auditorium got wet, it's not the sanctuary. Sanctuary is in your human heart. It's, it's your body. It's your life. It's who you are. That's the holiest place in all the world. But buildings got flooded this week, and then the church showed up. And I'm telling you, folks, it's miraculous what happened between Wednesday and Saturday. It's just unbelievable. But thank the Lord for faith and love for the saints. And when you come and, and give of your time, you end up loving the saints more. You really do. Corporately coming together. But here's what it says. I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering in my prayers. That's where we went last week. And now verse 17. The that or so that introduces the petition. This is what Paul is going to ask God for. It, is, uh, it has two clauses. There is that he may give. And on down in verse 18 that you may know. So those are the two primary clauses in the petition. But here's the first one. That the God of our Lord... Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Let's stop there. Now, we've already studied some amazing spiritual blessings that have been given to us as God's people, right? Scripture says that you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's verse 3. Now... What Paul is praying for is that God will open the eyes of the Ephesians in such a way that they will actually grasp the implication of the privileges they already have in Christ. I mean, pretty much I've told you why he prayed. But the sermon's not over, right? Keep in, keep in mind that the way he starts this prayer, the way he starts the praise section in verse 3, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he starts his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he's going to add another descriptive term to designate the Father of glory. So he is connecting all of the theology with how he's going to make the prayer. And, how, and what's going to dictate what Paul actually petitions God for. I want to remind you today that you don't need a second blessing from God. You don't need to be involved in the deeper life movement. You need to be involved with claiming the very spiritual blessings God has already given you and applying that to your life. You've been given every spiritual privilege that God has ever given to anybody. And God asks us to fully grasp and appropriate those blessings into our lives as we live for him. We don't need to learn any more formulas. We don't need to learn the secrets of higher life. We need to know God better. We need a deeper knowledge of God. And, and check that phrase out. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul actually is going to confirm this by the way he prays the prayer. Let me show you a couple of other very important things to remind you of. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Do I need to underscore all of that? The scripture says that our God through his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And now in Philippians, notice Paul's number one ambition. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else in Paul's life was subservient. As a matter of fact, the term he uses, rubbish, in that text is cow dung. Everything else in life is rubbish. The number one thing is that I might know Christ in his glory. So, I tell you those things to let you see the comprehensive nature of the word of God. And, and as we focus upon this particular prayer, this is going to be the content. Again, that word, that, introduces the content of the prayer. But yet, notice how he addresses the Lord God. And I want to spend some time on this because this is important. He calls him... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Why would Paul use this kind of designation to describe the God that we pray to? The primary reason is because when it comes to prayer in Scripture, it often, those descriptive terms often address God in such a way that's going to follow the request of the prayer. Okay, you get me? So the descriptive term, the designation of who God is, is commensurate with what Paul is going to actually ask God for. And that's very important for us to know when it comes to the scripture. But this title connects all of the spiritual blessings in chapter 1 verse 3 together with how Paul is going to petition God for us to be able to comprehend what we already have in Jesus. This is why he is praying in this manner. But I want to also remind you that this is a Christian prayer. 
we take this for granted, right? Because we look around the world and we think just because people pray, it's a virtuous thing. But I want to remind you that Muslims pray. Islamists pray. Mormons pray. Jehovah Witnesses pray. But if their theology that they write down on paper is in their mind and heart, then they're not praying to the God of the Bible. Okay, this is important for us to understand. And every time I look at this designation, I think about how pluralistic our society has become. It's safe to talk about God, right? But it's not too safe to talk about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a major difference there. Why is that the case? Well, three things I want you to think about. This is introduction, by the way. It's free. No cost to this sermon preparation whatsoever for you. These things are free but very important. When it comes to how Paul designated the title of God in descriptive terms before he asked the request, here are three things to think about. This speaks of self-disclosure. Why? Because God is spirit. And no man hath seen him at any time. But the only Son of God has made him known. Are you all listening? So this is about self-disclosure. When you use the term the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, keep in mind that no blessings can be given to us if they're not mediated through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no privileges. We, we, have, we have nothing if, if the blessings do not come to us through Christ. As a matter of fact, you can't get any of those blessings apart from Christ. Remember our study, there's this in Christ formula. And it's on our sign out here. It's our great salvation in Christ Jesus. That's what Ephesians is about. So I want to remind you of this aspect of disclosure. Uh, Self-disclosure. In other words, when we address our God, there's a reason why we address him in the name of Jesus. When we pray, there's a reason we say, Father, at the beginning. And we end our prayer by saying, in the name of Jesus. Why? Because we can't approach him. And we don't have any privileges. And we're not a son and daughter unless we have Christ. Unless we're in Jesus. So just don't bump over this. When Paul begins to pray, he wants us to think about who we're praying to. All right? And then there's a reverential aspect to this prayer. Why? Because he's the father of glory. Man, that's good stuff. It gets me excited. Now, you didn't sit with me during my summer preparation, but it gets me excited to think about it. Some theologians believe that there's a possibility... That this is connected with Psalm 24, verse 7. If it's not, that's okay. It's in there. All right? Listen. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So, what an incredible principle to think about. Now, glory is associated with God's domain. It is associated with his gracious self-disclosure of himself, which meets its pinnacle in the person and work of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you remember that when God called Abraham, he revealed himself to Abraham as the father of glory? When he's in Mesopotamia, that's Acts 7 verse 2 tells us that. How many of you remember the story of Moses? Moses said, God, I want to know you more, so show me your glory. That's what he actually asked. So 
Think about the Son of God when he's on earth and he's praying in John 17. And he says, Father, restore the glory that I had with you in the beginning. So that speaks of domain. That speaks of where the Father is and where the Son was and where the, Father, where the Son is going back to. And he's asking him. He begs the Almighty Father to restore that glory. Think about when Jesus is even dying on the cross he, he, when he speaks of his death on the cross, he does so for the Father's glory. Even his death on the cross. So glory is our ultimate destination as well. Second Corinthians. Listen to the word of the Lord. This one's very clear. Chapter 3, verse 18. For the sake of time, you just listen. Write down the verse. You can go back and look at it. But listen. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So when we use that terminology, glory, we are thinking of that ultimate designation, destination. Why? Because we'll be transformed into the Lord's likeness with everlasting glory. So Paul prayed to the Father of glory. So when we pray, yes... No access without the self-disclosure of our God in Jesus Christ. All of our blessings. But how about the term glory? It speaks of the transcendency of our God. In other words, we're not God. He is. He's transcendent. He is the Father of glory. In our pluralistic society, when people talk about a willingness to pray to God, let all of us be clear. Let us be clear in our witness that unless they're talking about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then they're not talking about the God of the Bible or the true and living God. This is the designation and why. And Paul is going to combine those critical truths as he prays. He's the Father of glory. Jesus Christ has disclosed the God of glory for us. And furthermore, he's, he's been raised, seated, all things subjected to him. And he is the head of this church. That's what the text is going to say to us. But note this other thing. Not only self-disclosure, reverence, reverential aspect, but this issue of filial relationship. Filial means that we're all sons and daughters. Isn't it an awesome thing to call him father? He's not the CEO of the universe that's going to smack your hand when you go to him in prayer. He's a loving father. He's loved you, as a matter of fact, before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined you for adoption. He's a loving father. So I want us to think about that. Yes, he dwells in absolute majesty and transcendency above all things. And you better listen to me on that one because in a few moments we're going to talk about how it is that God can come to us even though he is transcendent. But the fact is, he is absolutely holy. One commentator said, Glory is the inescapable weight of the sheer intrinsic godness of God. Oh my goodness. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But that's who our God is. A Puritan once said, It is impossible to honor God as we ought unless we know him as he is. That sounds a little bit more like southern terminology to me than the other definition, right? In other words, you got to know him. And that's what this actually is about. So this petition, that, think about the name, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may do something, may give. All right, that brings us to point two on the outline that you were given last week. 
and you don't have an outline in your bulletin this week because we had some cords that got wet. And as David said in the earlier service, we are supposed to give our lives for Christ, but we're not going to give our lives for making a bulletin, okay? All right, number two, this is what we're leading. Pray that God's sovereign, holy purposes in the salvation of his people may be accomplished. And that's what we're looking at in, in verses 17 through 19, that God may give to us and that we may know. And I'm only going to hit uh, division two in our sermon today. And furthermore, I'm only going to hit one sub-point of that second division. All right. Not going to take forever. But here's what I want you to think about today. What did Paul actually pray for? That God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Check this out. In the knowledge of him. So pray that God will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That falls under one of God's holy purposes in our salvation for his people. That we will see what we have been given in Christ. Now here's a question. Is that S spirit a small S or a capital S? Well, this is important, isn't it? That he may give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What is he referring to? NAS, New American Standard, I think uses a, a, a lowercase s. My Bible uses the ESV an uppercase S, a capital S for spirit. Now, here's the thing. If it is the small S that Paul is praying for, spirit, then it has to be the inner quality of wisdom. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So this interpretation would fit well with spirit, but it doesn't fit well with revelation. Okay? So this is combined the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. How can he give us an inner, inner quality of revelation? So that term revelation, let's think about it. It always refers to a disclosure given to us by the triune God and should be taken that way in this text. When we talk about revelation being given, it's always given by God to us. So, here's my... Uh, Here's where I arrive on this. Here's, here, it's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? It is the Holy Spirit that's spoken of in verse 13 and 14 that has sealed us, guaranteed our inheritance. That is also what gives us this wisdom. The Holy Spirit of God is the source and agent of wisdom and revelation. We might say that there's a set means here to a desired end. With this interpretation, it's likely that it comes from... Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. For the sake of time, just listen to it. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. And that's talking about, uh, as a messianic prophecy given by Isaiah regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, wisdom. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We, we could say that, defining it. But here's my question. What does Paul usually mean when he talks about the wisdom of God? Is there somewhere in the Bible where Paul actually talks about the wisdom of God? And here's what I want you to see. When Paul talks about wisdom, he's talking about the wisdom that is given to us or that is in Jesus Christ. He is the very wisdom of God. 
So I want to show you that because it's important. Not just to say it, but show you. 1 Corinthians, if you'll turn over there with me. This would be really good for you to hear. Chapter 1, verse 20. Let me show you how Paul puts this together. Let me begin reading in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debator of this age? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ and Him crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, check this out, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the very wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now over to verse 6 of chapter 2. Let your eyes just move over one page in my Bible. I'm on page 1067. <laughs> if you can't find it, all right? All right, here it is, verse 6. Chapter 2, yet among the mature we do, not, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for, for, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What is the wisdom God has given to us? It's the gospel. It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gospel. Now, when I read a direct quote from the Old Testament, I want to remind you that this is not talking about heaven. I don't know how many times we've gone to funeral services and people preach that, this next verse, to be about heaven. It's not. It's about the gospel. Listen. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So I say all this to remind you. That if we are really seriously talking about the spirit of wisdom, then we are seriously, truly talking about the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Or that Christ, all of life should be Christ-centered. So if you're a wise person, then you see the world through Holy Spirit lenses or glasses, right? And you're looking at the world through a Christ-centered focus. And not only Christ-centered, but gospel-oriented focus. When you go off to work, if you're at school, if you're a teacher, if you're a maintenance guy, I don't care what your vocation is, you look at the world through Christ-centered lenses. You look at the world through gospel orientation. Does that make sense? And this is what Paul has to say to us. True spirit-given wisdom is Christ-centered wisdom. True wisdom is gospel-centered wisdom. Now, is this wisdom lacking in our churches today? You better believe it. It's, it's lacking among people who actually profess to know Christ. 
it seems to be lacking in our psychologized society. Doesn't it? We just think the next pill, the next counseling session, and I'm not saying that we don't have problems. I get that, okay? I'm not saying there can't be medical reasons for this. But I'm telling you that as long as we continue to interpret this world in a fallen nature way, we're missing the point. Right? My suggestion is we need to go to the foot of the cross. Back in verse 18, where the preaching of the cross is what changes the world. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the wisdom of God? Isaac Watts got it right. It's called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did there such love and sorrow meet, nor thorns compose so rich a crown. You know, he had the crown before he ever got on the cross. He's the king. But think about love displayed in the wisdom of God. It's foolishness to Washington, D.C. But for those who are being saved, it is a power of God. We need to see the world through that kind of understanding. We look, we look at Washington, and what do you see? Vengeful thoughts on both sides of the aisle. You see hatred. You see destructive behavior everywhere. And I'm not giving you a twisted Bible-thumping remedy for everything, but I'm telling you this. The wisdom of God is the only thing that can give you proper insight into man's problem. And the only remedy that we can experience comes from the Holy Spirit of God and wisdom that only He can give in the gospel. Only the gospel can open your eyes to the condition of your heart. Last time I checked, no one in Washington has ever stopped to ask the question, what's wrong with the human heart? That's the problem. But folks, you need to be merciful. Why? Because lost people don't know that. They have no idea the natural man cannot discern the things of God. The only thing that can change the White House is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. The only thing that can remedy the problems in our world is the gospel. So I, I would say this, that the world is filled with a misdiagnosis. Is it not? And no one stops to ask the question, what's really wrong? The spirit of wisdom gives the answer. It is the wicked, perverted, twisted, sinful condition of mankind. No amens? Well, you identify with it whether you say it or not. Because we all are. And apart from the gospel and the wisdom of the Spirit of God, we can never know our condition. So, not just wisdom, but check this out. The Spirit of Revelation. Now, he's not praying for direct re revelation given to God like he would have given to the prophets and the apostles. Uh, my contention is, he's talking about truth... And you've got all truth given to you right here from Genesis to Revelation. Okay? We're going to talk about that in a few moments. But this word, Revelation, is more akin to the terminology of illumination. In fact, verse 18 helps us with this. Listen to verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Not direct revelation from God. But illumination to be able to understand the wisdom of God as given to you. Right? Right? Or given the truth of God's word given to you. So, 
This means that the Spirit reveals something to the believer. And what does the Spirit of God reveal to a believer? Truth. He opens up more and more our eyes and hearts to the truth of the Word of God. He gives us understanding of the truth. David said this. He said these words. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The psalmist also said in Psalm 119 verse 18. Open the eyes of my heart that I might behold wonderful things from your word. So we need the spirit of wisdom in order to see life through Holy Spirit lenses. The cross and Christ. But we also need the spirit of revelation because illumination is essential for us to live the Christian life. This book is the revelation of our God. Now, why is it that we need the spirit of revelation? Why do we need illumination? Well, last time I checked, this book is about an infinite God. And unless you haven't figured this out, you're finite. I figured it out this couple of, weeks, uh, couple of days ago. I got up. And took off through the house. And Nathan said, Dad, you're popping every time you walk through the house. Just my feet. Sports, all kind of things. And I said, just give me 20 minutes. And I'll quit popping. I mean, it happens to all of us, right? What is that a reminder of? I mean, we know our bodies are wasting away. What does that prove? It proves that we're finite. Look, folks. Because you're finite and God is infinite, you have to have the Spirit of God to give you revelation. Or you will never understand anything. That, that demands it. Some of you have been studying the Word of God longer than I have. I can, remember, I can remember this distinctly. When I was 15 years of age, I began to study the Word of God. It became alive to me. And I've studied it from 15, and I'm 50, I'll be 51 in July. Some of you have studied it. Now, who in this room would stand up and say, no matter how many years you've studied it, that you feel like you've plumbed the depths of what the Word of God has to say to you? Anybody? As a matter of fact, you would confess, just like I do, that the more you know, the more you don't know. Right? Now, just think about this for a moment. Everybody in this room could go to seminary class, millenniums on end, and you would never exhaust the truth of God as given to us in this Bible. So, folks, I'm reminding you of something. We need to pray for spirit, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation in order to understand the word of God. Now, the finiteness of man necessitates revelation. But what about the sinfulness of man? Folks, oh, finiteness is one thing. Sinful condition is a whole other thing. Why? Because finiteness keeps us from comprehending the infinite. But our sinfulness is a barrier to understanding the Holy God. Period. So what do you need in order to understand the truth of God as given to us in his word? We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I think about this every day. God, my mind is too small. And my heart is too dark. And you know it and I know it. So we pray, God, your spirit has already sealed us. He's, he's already the promise of the down payment. It's all ours. We just haven't received it all yet. Right? But in this world, we need the spirit of wisdom. And we need the spirit of revelation. And I, I think we underestimate what happened in the Garden of, of Eden. The fall has affected every aspect of our being. Not the least which 
is our perception of moral and spiritual reality. Sin renders us spiritually blind and absolutely ignorant of the things of God. If you don't believe that, just wait till we get to chapter 2, which is in about a year from now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sin renders us spiritually blind, ignorant of God. Therefore, hear this. There is no road for man's intellectual and moral perception to a genuine knowledge of God. It does not exist. The only way to knowledge of God is for God to freely place himself within the range of our perception. So that he can renew our fallen understanding. Ephesians chapter 2. Dead. Disobedient. Doomed. Verse 4. God in his great mercy. Made us alive. He brought himself within perception of your understanding. By quickening your mind and making you alive. So that you would understand and believe the gospel. Only God can do that. No matter how much intellectual acumen you have. No matter how much knowledge you have. There's no genuine knowledge of God unless God comes down to meet us. No way possible. So therefore we are to know God. If we're going to know him. Revelation is indispensable. It's absolutely necessary that we seek the Spirit's help to understand this book. Right? To understand it and grow. God's mind, folks, is revealed in the Scripture. So if we're going to know Him, we need Holy Spirit glasses to understand accurately and deeply what the Bible says. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. Apart from the Spirit, it is easier to teach a tiger vegetarianism than to teach an unregenerate person the gospel. That is absolutely the truth. It is easier for you to teach a tiger not to eat meat than it is to teach someone who was lost the gospel without the Holy Spirit's help. Not going to happen. Notice this last expression. See this. We're going to end with this expression. Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Is this, is this important? This designates the purpose of which God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I was thinking that that was seven steps to be a better husband. I was thinking that that was the four spiritual laws. That's going to make me a better person. But this text says that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is given to us so that we might know our God. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? Why should we pray that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation? It is for one reason and one reason only, to know God better. I want to remind you that know is a cognitive word. Is it not? It is something we think. And this is where it all comes together. The spirit of revelation comes to us through prayer. Not just to give us a bunch of facts, but to help us know God better. That's why. We can have a truckload of knowledge and still not know God. It's highly possible. Paul's prayer is that we will know God experientially and personally. The Greek word gnosis speaks more of being acquainted with something. However, the Old Testament word for gnosko or, or wisdom, Old Testament word, which I don't know off the top of my head, speaks more of being personally involved with and intimately knowing the person. You see the difference? And we're called by God to know him. J.I. Packer wrote the book called Knowing God. If you've never read it, you should. Here's what he says. How can we turn our knowledge of God, about God, 
into knowledge of God. How can we do this? And here's what Packer says. The rule for doing this is demanding but simple. We turn each truth. Can I give you some? Beginning in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. All the way down through verse 14. Take those truths and turn those truths that we learn about God into matterful meditation. Before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. That's how we do it, right? That's how you know God. So to know God better, we must have Christ as our wisdom. The gospel as our lenses to see the world. And the spirit-empowered illumination of our God in order for un- to understand truth. What is the greatest need of anybody and everybody in this church right now? If you're lost, it is to be saved. To know the Lord personally, experientially, intimately. Only through Christ can we know God. But next to that, if you're saved today, then we need to know God. That is the greatest need for us. It's not the deeper life movement. It's not a second work of grace. It's not a second blessing. We don't need more psychological techniques. What we need right now, by the way, you're going to need it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and all the way through eternity is to know God better through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want to remind you that in church life, we are bombarded all the time with methodologies. We have four steps to this, eight steps to this, seven laws for this, how I can be a better father, how I can be a better mother, how I can be a better student. And I'm not against those practical application things of showing people how to live out the truth. I'm not against that. But here's the indispensable thing that we all need to come to grips with when it comes to methodologies. If they're ever going to be of any good to us. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation for a deeper knowledge of God or none of that makes any sense. If it doesn't help us know our God better, why are we doing it? So think about that for a moment. Our goal must be to know God better. What will help us in these areas? And all the areas that we may need work on in our church. What will help us? Don't y'all think knowing God better will help us? Uh, I believe that the marriages that work best according to the biblical model, are made up of people who want to know God better. I'm telling you, all the practical helps go away at times. But if you have a quest to know God better, then marriage is better. Think about the high bar. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ooh, that's a juggler vein, right? Juggler, juggler, whatever you call that thing. How about you women? You like this one? Submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. That's pretty hard practically. You give me seven steps all day, I'm going to miss them every time. But if you help me, God, if you help me love you more and know you more, I guarantee you it will affect my marriage. We can offer helps for our young people in the pursuit of being sexually pure until they get married. We can take them to conference after conference after conference after conference. But I'm telling you now, that might fill their head with knowledge. But you put the love of God in that kid's heart and a a desire to know God passionately, we won't have to worry about sex before marriage because they'll love God more than a temporary fix. Amen? That's the truth of the matter, folks. So, you want to have a reason to maintain purity? I'll give you one. Love God. The God of the universe. Get to know him. What will incite 
us to learn truth and become more holy and more like Christ. I tell you, folks, nothing will do that more than a passion to know God. And that needs to be our desire. Now, Packer provides, I'm going to end with this, four results of people who have a desire to know God. And I'm telling you, if we could have all four of these things in our church, Katie, bar the door. The first one is people will have great energy for God. If we know him, we're going to have great energy for him. You can't help but serve him if you know him. Number two, we're going to have great thoughts about God. What damages more churches than anything else is stinking thinking. We don't have good theology and we don't think deeply about God. So, if we seek to know him better, great energy, great thoughts about God. How about this great boldness for God? That means we're not going to be intimidated about Jesus and the gospel. We're not going to be ashamed of the gospel. But we will go out and serve and share the gospel with great boldness. And then finally, the last one is great contentment in God. Check that out. Four things. Great energy for God. Great thoughts about God. Great boldness for God. And great contentment in God. When it's all said and done, he's all we need. He, he's the all-satisfying treasure that the man finds in the field. And goes sells everything he has, goes sells it all, comes back and purchases that field. Why? Because he knows what that treasure is. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. So today, here's the invitation. Do you know the Lord? No way to know him apart from Jesus Christ. The gospel has been given to us, right? If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the... All right, that means something, doesn't it? It's just not calling on something. Name. In other words, we could add all the characteristics of our God. We could add his attributes, everything. This is not an easy believism, Okay. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. As many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe upon his name. You can trust Christ and believe the gospel and be saved today. By repenting, turning from sin and self, turning to not a, not a 360, but a 180. And trusting only in Jesus as Lord. And how about believers? I'm sure you agree with me that we need to know our God better. God mediates his truth through the spirit of wisdom and revelation to you every single Sunday. And when you're sitting at home in your devotional time reading the word of God. Let's pray that God will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So we can be puffed up and ride around with a pastor in a big bus. Put on the side. We are true. We are the foundation of truth. No. So that we can know God better. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, you're good to us. In so many ways, Lord, we miss it. And Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, let it not make us prideful. I think, Father, if we seek to know you more, then the magnifying glass of our own sinfulness comes to the surface. Lord, we see it clearly. Without you, we are nothing. That's why salvation is all of grace. Romans 4 reminds us that if we could do anything to get it, it wouldn't be grace. And we would boast in our own works. But Father, we can never boast before you. Not of our own works. We can only boast in Jesus. And the gospel. And grace. 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that could save a wretch like me. God, help our church, which is the people, not a building. It's a community of faith, living life together under the word. God, help us love you more, seek to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's stand together. Join Brother David. Mike, let's change our, go to the chorus of uh, Living Hope. I just heard the pastor, as he referenced the gospel, what did he say? Hallelujah. And that's what we're going to do just now. All right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Run who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken everything. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. And oh, hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. God, you are my living hope. Well, hallelujah. Uh, we do, again, appreciate your help and service uh, in the church. And just bear with us and pray and and God will certainly lead us. Don sent me a text and said we certainly as a church body lived out uh, that prayer of loving the saints and serving in faith. But I want you all to pick on Don, okay? We're, we're going to cut this out of the tape nationally uh, so people don't see this. I want you to pick on him because he is akin to some of the politicians who left to go to Cancun. Because Don left and went to Nashville and he's not even here anymore, Y'all don't know where that comes from, but that's okay. I mean, we're not worried about it. I had to throw that joke in there, but y'all pick on Don when he comes back. No, he is seriously in Nashville until Wednesday serving our Southern Baptist Convention. So pray for him as he's out and about. And I uh, trust that you'll have a wonderful week. To God be the glory. And we'll, we'll keep plowing through Ephesians. All right? God bless you. Let's sing uh, the doxology as we go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Thank you.